You are listening to the Genesis Podcast, a community of faith, love, and hope. As we look to the scriptures, it is our desire to embolden one another to change the world by effectively representing Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. We are continuing our series entitled The Journey. And what we are doing is looking at different people in Scripture and following them through their journey and seeing how their lives took shape and changed course. Last week we talked about Jacob, who went from being a person who was basically a deceiver to someone who was then governed by God and actually obedient to God, who who actually wrestled with God and bore the marks in his own body to show that. And now we are going to look at Joseph. And you see, our lives are shaped by the things that we go through. Life in our journey is really the classroom that God works in. I was thinking about how Kareen and I were when we first got married 31 years ago. And I can remember we would be sitting in our little one-room place, happy as could be, and it'd be 10 o'clock and we'd say, you want to go to the movies? And say, yeah, let's go to the movies. And we'd get up and we'd go to the movies. Then we had kids and that never happened again. It changed and our life's journey changed because things change, but not only do things change, we change. And God works in the things that happen in our life to bring about the change. And so last week we saw that there were some problems with Jacob. Jacob was favored by his mother, Rachel, but his dad, Isaac, favored Esau. We saw the problems that arose from that, and that's kind of where we're picking up this morning. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, open it to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to start in verse 1. Genesis 37, verse 1. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flock with his brothers, the sons of Bilah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. Let me just stop right there and say, he brought his father a bad report about them getting a little characteristic. Now, remember, keep in mind here that Joseph is 17. 17, bringing a bad report about his brothers. Just to give you a little idea of where we are, okay? Anyone remember when they were 17? Anyone had siblings when you were 17? Anyone, a parent, have? I don't need to say any more, okay? Verse 3, now, Israel... Loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. Remember what happened with him and Rachel, his mom? It's happening again. Now it's happening with his son. And the reason is because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. 
So Jacob loves Joseph, not so much because Joseph's such a great guy, but because he was born to him when he was old. He was proud of himself. And he made him an ornate robe. We don't know what this robe is. It might say a coat of many colors. The idea is it's showing favoritism, and this is now an item that is to be of interest. This is you know, something that we are setting. It's a prop in this story that we're going to be following along. Verse 4, when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Notice it says, when their brothers saw that their father loved him more. They didn't just feel it, they saw it. He was doing things like the robe probably and other things. They were able to see the favoritism and it caused this hatred within them. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it, to his brothers. Listen, he said. I'm imagining he was excited to go tell them this other dream. I had another dream. Great, let's hear it. And this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. You know, like mom, dad, and you 11 brothers. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. And so we see that it starts off with this tension in the family. It starts off really where Jacob should have learned a lesson. He didn't, and this continues now in his family. And we see the struggle that is taking place between this 17-year-old whose dad's favorite who brings a bad report to his brothers, who tells his brothers about this dream he has where they are bowing down to him and what they see it as is now we are serving you and they're not going for it. They don't care for it one bit. And so the story continues in verse 18 or verse 12. Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. Now, he's not out doing the work, but he's going to go check on them. So, verse 14, so he said to them, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asking him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. 
Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him in the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty where there was no water. They sat down to eat their meal. They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their caravan were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and there were on their way, they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver and the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. There are a handful of moments in our lives that shape and define us drastically. There, there are things that will happen that will have such a drastic effect on us that it will change the whole course of our life. It could be getting married. It could be having children. It could be coming to faith in Christ. It could be finding out you have cancer or, or a disease. These are moments that change who we are. They're defining moments. And we don't have them every week. We don't have them every month. We don't have them every year. We only usually have a handful of them throughout our lives that we can look back and say, that was a time when my life was drastically changed, where who I was in this journey all of a sudden became more clear or I had a redirection of thought and attitude. And this is definitely one of those moments. Up to this point, Joseph is the favorite. Up to this point, Joseph hasn't made living at home with his family. They're well off, and now his own brothers sell him out. Sell him into slavery. And you see, defining moments can go different ways. And they can usually go either good or bad especially a moment like this. When something like this happens, you have a decision of how it is going to shape you. Will it embitter you or will it embolden you? And how you react to these moments on the journey of your life will have a dramatic effect on your future and what will take place. And so here begins this journey with Joseph. And it starts in this betrayal. We see in chapter 39 that he goes to Egypt. 
And in chapter 39, verse 2, it says that the Lord was with Joseph. And so we see that there is the presence of God still with him. It says that his master saw that the Lord had favor on him. And Joseph found favor with his master. And so he sold into Potiphar's home. Potiphar is a title. It's a, a person of position. And so now Joseph's journey takes him from a place where he was with his family to a home. Now you might think, well, great. He's with Potiphar. Potiphar is a wealthy man. He's well-to-do. This is a good thing for Joseph. Excuse me, let's back up, okay? I just got sold as a slave by my brothers. No matter how you spin it, it's not really the best of situations. I don't know how you would respond to it, but I'd be a little miffed. You know, yeah, that's great. You know, hey, Potiphar, I'm glad to be here, but I used to be free and my brother sold me out. And remember, he's 17 years old. And as we see the Lord was with Joseph, as we see these things, we recognize that there's this time for how are you going to respond to this situation? but we see something about Joseph through this process. We know he's in Potiphar's home up to maybe 11 years. He is there. And many of you know the story that Joseph's a handsome young man. He, he goes up in position and he's over all of Potiphar's household, that there's nothing that he doesn't control except Potiphar and his wife. But his wife has eyes for Joseph so his wife goes to Joseph and, and she wants him to lay with her. And we see chapter 39, verse 9, it says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so one of the things that we start to see about Joseph is that he's recognizing that God is still present with him. He understands that he lives in a moral universe where there is a right and there is a wrong thing. And I can't do this, not just against Potiphar, but against God. And we see that his life and the direction that he's on is being shaped by these beliefs. But then the question comes up, if, if this is a moral universe, if there is a God who cares about right and wrong, then why is this happening to me? I didn't do anything wrong. Why is this happening to me? Because it's not just a temptation to go and lay with this woman. Because he doesn't do it, she falsely accuses him and has him thrown into prison. Why, God? Why? This could be another one of those defining moments. If it was 10 years, 11 years, again, we don't know. Everything's been going well, and all of a sudden, I was trying to be honorable, and I find myself falsely accused and in jail. Which direction is Joseph's inner compass going to point now that this has happened? Where is his thoughts going to go? What is he going to pursue? You see, God is at work in the world, but... It's cluttered with all these people. And all of us people are, are put.
putting our hand in the mix. And so Joseph has an idea, but Potiphar's wife has another idea. And so now his life is affected by her, by Potiphar. It's affected by his brothers. It's affected by his circumstances. But God is still trying to do something. But the great thing about God, he's like the master chess player. He's thinking three moves ahead of whatever things you can think of because he's got plans of his own. He's working still. And no matter what we do that messes things up, it doesn't stop him from continuing to work. And he does this in a way where their objectives might interfere or conflict with who he is, but he never violates their freedom, that free will. He never takes that away just to accomplish what he wants, but he can use any situation that we construct and work through ordinary circumstances of our everyday lives to bring about what he is doing. He never loses. He always achieves his objective. Will Joseph see that? Or will Joseph say, if you let this happen to me, I don't believe in you any longer. If God is real, how could something like this happen to me? Again, defining moment, defining decision, shapes the direction he will go. It shapes the directions we will go. We might not be in this situation, but you too are going to experience hardship, sometimes at the hand of other people. Defining situation. Where do you go? How do you react? What are you going to do? Where is your compass? Is it still with God that this is his universe, that he has a right and a wrong and he is at work in spite of the mess? Or are you going to take matters into your own hand and do what you want? Because where is God in all of this? We don't see. He doesn't show up. There's no angel that comes down. There's no the voice of God to, to try and bring comfort. We don't see God's voice here in this situation. So where is he? It's like the book of Esther. God isn't mentioned anywhere in the book of Esther. Where is God? You see, in the book of Esther, God is with Esther. And what we see here is God is going to show up through Joseph. And through Joseph, he makes his presence known. And through Joseph, he accomplishes his will. And through Joseph... God is seen. And that's something that we need to grasp hold of because when we get into those situations that are difficult and we start asking, God, where are you? He looks at you and says, well, I'm here, right? I'm in you, right? You belong to me. We, we sang that. I am yours. I've been bought with a price. I belong to you. So a situation comes and we say, God, where are you? The answer should be, he's right here. And how I respond to this is not only going to define me, it is allowing me to be a part of God's defining work in the world around me. And the journeys that we are in, these things are going to happen. The next time everything's going wrong, instead of asking, where is God in all this? Recognize he's in you. God enters your story through you. 
we don't bring God into our world. He's already here, but we have to give him space to move in us. Another life-shaping event, embittered or emboldened, always the choices before us. We don't know how long Joseph was, again, at Potiphar's house, but we know that now he's in prison and something is beginning to happen. Something happens to us in those defining moments. Those things that knock us down, those things that knock the wind out of us, those things that just leave us on the ground, not wanting to stand up. There's a change that takes place. And you see, the heart changes quietly without making a noise, sometimes without even us understanding it, that we start to be shaped and defined by the things that we experience on this journey because, again, this is the classroom that God is at work in. We are the clay. He is the potter. And he is using the life circumstances to accomplish a change within us that sometimes we're not even aware of. We don't even see. We don't even recognize it. All I see is the situation, and we don't understand that God is actually in this journey changing me. I can remember there was a time when I had some real angst about a person. Every time I would see this person, every time I would hear this person's name come up, I would get angry. I I would want to react. I would want to speak. I, I just was so hurt that I wanted to respond. And I can remember one time where there was a conversation and this person's name came up in the conversation. And I remember the conversation came and went. And after it was done, I remember thinking, wait a second, I didn't care. And it brought me to tears because I didn't even realize I'd gotten over it. See, God had done something in me so that now this person didn't affect me anymore. I'm not the same as I was a year ago because there's a work taking place in me. And life changes us. It affects us. It, It happens without us even knowing. What happens in this time in Joseph's life will direct his journey. And so now he's in prison. And then the story continues. In chapter 40, verse 8, a cupbearer and a baker, people of prominent positions under Pharaoh, says, we both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. They were troubled because they both had a dream. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Once again, we see that Joseph is still connected to this belief in God. It is still shaping his thought process. It is still affecting who he is, where he's at. Is it doing that for us? Am I affected by who God is, where I'm at, or does it only affect me when I come to church? Does it only affect me at certain times, Christmas, Easter? Or does it affect me every day because... He's a part of who I am. And so Joseph says, interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dream. And so they do. And we see that God is still a part of his life and God gives him the interpretation. 
God helps them in this time of difficulty. We just talked about Paul uh, on Wednesday night when we're going through uh, the element series, and we were talking about patience. And in chapter 28 of Acts, Paul is shipwrecked on the island of Malta. And they swim ashore and they get to shore and they build a fire. And as they build a fire and he's putting some wood on the fire, a poisonous viper, poisonous snake latches onto Paul's arm. And so all the people are going, this guy's doomed, okay? He survived the shipwreck, but now God sent a snake and he's going to get it. And he shakes the snake off into the fire and everyone's waiting for him to keel over, but he doesn't. And they're like, whoa. Okay, they said that, really. It might not be there, but I'm sure they say, whoa. And so I don't know how bad your day is, but shipwreck, snake bite, same day. Anyone? But we see that that actually brings an opportunity for Paul that even in that situation, he's now able to have an audience with Publius, the the man who's overseeing that whole island and they get supplies and it furthers the gospel. Cupbearer, you're going to make it. Baker, they're going to take your head. He interprets their dreams. Good for one, bad for the other. And sure enough, it comes true. And so Joseph goes before him. And in chapter 40, Verses 14 and 15, he says, But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. So Joseph's still all about telling the truth of the situation. He still knows where he was. He still wants to get out of this place. It's not like, yeah, I'm fine. God's with me. I'm in the dungeon. Yippee-ki-yay. No, he's saying, hey, I want out of here. Remember me. But he doesn't. Defining moment. And as the years go by, we see verse 23, the chief cupbearer bearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. He forgot him. Do you feel forgotten? You ever go to this time where you just feel like, God, you forgot me. Chapter 41, verse 1, it says, when two full years had passed. The Hebrew reads, two years of days. Doesn't that sound a little bit more vivid? It's not just two years, it's two years of days. It's like Paul, I mean, Joseph is counting the days every day of those two years. Two years of days go by. Joseph was aware of every day that filled those two years. And then Pharaoh has a dream. We see that dreams are a big part of Joseph's life. He has the dreams at the beginning The cupbearer, the baker have the dream, and now Pharaoh has a dream. And so this dream now is a major turning point in Joseph's life. It turns around because of these dreams, not because of his skill and his, you know, ability to organize. It's actually because there is a God who gives interpretation to dreams. And so we see that God is actually at work 
the master chess player. I think Pharaoh needs a dream. And that dream sparks the cupbearer. Verse 9 of chapter 41 says, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Well, I'm glad you're aware of it today because for two years of days I've been aware of it. But today I'm aware of my shortcoming. And so we see then that Pharaoh has this dream and he remembers, hey, there's this guy in prison who's able to interpret dreams. And so they bring out Joseph. And in chapter 41, verse 15 to 24, we'll read the dream. Pharaoh has this dream. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God, here again we see that God is still in his mind. It's still in his framework. It's still in his direction of life. God will give Pharaoh the answer he deserves. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river came up seven cows fat and sleek. And they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and zombie-like, very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain full of good growing on full stock. After them, seven other heads sprouted, with, with, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. And so Joseph goes on. And explains the dreams. There's going to be seven years of, of plenty. And then it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And that's the interpretation of your dream. And so God gives Joseph this interpretation. And, and Joseph then steps out a little bit further because he says in verse 33 of that chapter, And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man to put him in charge of the land of Egypt. I just thought I'd throw that out there to you, Pharaoh. Maybe a guy who can interpret James would be handy at this point, someone who's come and rescued the whole nation. And this is now the defining moment where once again, Joseph moves his direction of life. But understand this. If Joseph was not in a position when the doors opened, he would not be able to walk through. If Joseph was not in this relationship with God, he would not be able to hear the interpretation of God. If Joseph was not in a place where he could counsel this person when the opportunity arose and he stepped into it, if he's not there, he misses his chance. And there's no way to sugarcoat this. There are opportunities that come in our life that we have to be present for. We have to show up. We have to be there and we have to be ready when they open up so that we can walk through. And this is that defining moment that now Joseph steps into. And it seems obvious to us to recognize that negative thoughts produce negative moods but we also should realize maybe it's not as obvious that negative moods 
also produce negative thoughts. And so if we just go on feeling sorry for ourselves, if we just go on feeling abandoned by God, then we are deaf to his voice when he's speaking. And when he says the door is open, we're not in the room listening. And so we need to be careful. Joseph had to escape what was done to him or he would never be able to live a better life. And I've got to tell you, this is so true for us. We've got to be able to escape from what things that have been done to us, or we'll never be able to live a better life. One of the guys in our group at Celebrate Recovery talked about how just being a part of this group has affected his understanding and his ability to make choices without the past affecting who he is and what he's done. Just by recognizing the hold of those things and understanding I need to escape that hold, that bitterness, that hurt, whatever it might be, if I want to live the life that God has for me, I can't let these things continue to hold me. So what things are holding you? What, what things are there in your life? Maybe you can just recognize them. Maybe you can deal with them. Maybe you need help. Maybe you need to talk to somebody. Maybe you need to see a counselor. I don't know, but God does. And if you're aware of it, you have to move forward so that you can deal with it. Otherwise, these things will hold on. You also have to be ready for when that door of opportunity opened and he walked through it. The important thing is not when will your circumstances change, it's will you be ready to walk through the door when they do? Or will you be so burdened with the baggage and the burden and the frustration and the shame that the door opens and you can't make it? Chapter 42 to 44 Joseph's brothers have to come to Egypt because the famine is so severe, it's worldwide. They said, hey, we hear they have food in Egypt. Let's go there and maybe we can bargain, sell, get some of our sheep or whatever, bargain and get some food. And so you guys are familiar with the stories. They go back to Egypt. Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize him because he's been cleaned up to Egyptian standards. He's got the eyeliner and the... Bray area, bangs, whatever it is. You know, he's got the whole Egyptian garb, whatever it is. And so they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And he's concerned about them because he's got reason to be. These guys sold me out last time. And his younger brother, Benjamin, is not with them. You see, because Joseph came from Rachel, so did Benjamin. The others came from Leah and then two of the servants. They weren't just the two wives. There's two servants in there as well, part of the 12 tribes, just to throw that dirt out there. Anyway, so he's concerned about Benjamin. And so he asks them, do you have any other brothers? And they say, well, yeah, we got Benjamin. He says, well, then you have to come back here. He, he actually sets them up. He starts playing these mind games with them. He says, bring Benjamin back. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to keep your brother. And then they send Benjamin back. 
with him finally, and then he seats them all in order according to age, and they're like, whoa, how did he know that? You know, all these kinds of things are going on, playing these games with them, and then he plants a silver cup in Benjamin's pack so that when they're leaving, they go and they search. Oh, he's got a cup. I knew you guys were trying to steal from me, and so he's going to bring him in and take him in. He's going to stay with me. He's going to be imprisoned here. You can leave, but he has to stay. And then Judah, the one who wanted to kill him, comes up to him and he says, I can't do this. It'll kill my father. Keep me instead. And there's a journey that Judah went on that would probably be interesting to follow, but we don't have as much information on that. And so what we see here is that Joseph finally breaks down and he reveals himself to his brothers. So in Genesis chapter 45, we see this take place. Then Joseph could no longer control himself after Judah breaks down before all his attendants and cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there, were, there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I can, I bet, right? Oh, darn. <laughs> then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt, in case you forgot. And now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. It was what? It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land and for the next five years, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Some things happen to you as, as life affects you. Things change within you. Again, your heart starts to change and it doesn't make a sound. You don't even know it. And pretty soon you find yourself a little bit more sentimental and then you've gone through enough hard times that you can have sympathy for others who have gone through hard times because you remember what it was like to be there. And sometimes as life's defining moments begin to chip away at who we are, it starts to take away some of the pride issues or it can take away some of the arrogance, especially a 17-year-old who might have thought that he knew everything now realizes that there's a whole lot more that I don't know than I actually do know. And, and as these things start to happen, Joseph lets them know that the grace that I needed, I want to actually give to you as well. And as the story continues, Jacob is later united with Joseph. Joseph reassures his brothers, even after Jacob's death, that I'm not going to kill you. And he gives kind of final words in chapter 50, verses 19 through 21. Joseph said to them, 
Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Now remember in his dream, it seemed like he was going to be in the place of God. But now that's not the case. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. There's a lot that we could talk about in there and in this discourse. When we went through the book of Genesis, we talked about free will and God's plan in so many ways, that the free will is not just a matter of preference. It's not just like, do you like chocolate or strawberry? You've got free will. No, that's preference. Free will is actually the knowledge that you even have the choice to make. And the choice isn't just between good and evil. The choice is between life and death. That is what you have the choice to make. It'd be like if you had a a million dollars and you put it secretly in the bag of a homeless man. If he never looks at the bottom of the bag, he never knows he has the million dollars, won't do anything with it. That's not free will. Free will is that God lets us know we have the ability to choose so that we can make the difference of how we're going to live for life or for death. But as we see this, God's plan all along was for the saving of many lives. We now see the meaning behind Joseph's dreams. It wasn't to lift Joseph up above others. It was to use Joseph to actually save others. And we find that this is the characteristic of God, that he wants to use people to reach other people, that he's given us each a ministry of reconciliation that he wants to use us, the church, to reach those who are outside. And he shows us in this journey that Joseph had to take, that he decided not to be embittered about the wrong that was done to him. He he chose not to hold on to the wrong that was done to him by his brothers, by Potiphar's wife, by the cupbearer who forgot him. He he didn't let those things shape who he was. He still allowed God to shape who he was. But for that to happen, for him to be healed, he had to be reconciled. And for there to be reconciliation, there has to be forgiveness. Which brings us to the table here which brings us to Christ. You see, the thing that we understand that frees us isn't our ability to get better. It is that God has reconciled himself to us through the person of Jesus Christ and has brought to us forgiveness. You see, this is the thing about Christianity that, frankly, I need. Because I know me. Maybe not even as well as I should, but I know enough about me to know that I need help. To know that I am broken. That I know what is right, but I still fail to live it. That I I know who I should be, but I'm not who I want to be. I know 
the lack that is there. And what I need more than a pep talk, what I need more than someone saying, boy, you can do it, is I need forgiveness. And so do you. So do we all. Because how do I get past the shame of my past? How do I get past the shame of all those things that I have done wrong? How do I get past the shame like Judah who sold his brother as a slave? How do I get past the shame? I have to be reconciled for there to be reconciliation. There needs to be forgiveness. And just as Joseph said, how can I sin against God and do such a thing? We need to recognize this is a moral universe that we're living in. This is his universe. And what we need more than anything else is reconciliation with the God who has created us and the world, the broken world we live in. And that's what we have here in the bread and the wine. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood, the new covenant poured out for your sins. I need this. You need this. And so what we can take from this journey of Joseph is the understanding that he held on to the truth of who God is in spite of all that has happened into his life. And he was able to be reconciled with his brothers and forgive them because he saw that God was doing something a lot bigger than he ever imagined. God is doing the same for you. He's doing more than you can imagine. That your life is of such value that he wants to reconcile with you and bring forgiveness. And so he's paid the way. I'm going to have Raymond come back up and we're going to have a, a, a song here as we partake together. And the way this is going to work again is as we are worshiping God, I, I want you to understand that God is wanting constant reconciliation with us. And it has taken place once for all through what Jesus has done. And so you can come and take the bread, dip it into the grape juice, and then you can go back to your seat, have a moment. You can pray if you want to stand up and do it and pray while we're doing that. But once again, this is a time to recognize that all of our journeys are taking place in the story of God. That whatever our narrative is, there is a meta narrative. There is a larger story that we get to be a part of. Like Joseph, if we would recognize who God is. Father, we thank you for your instruction. We thank you for how through the scripture you give us understanding of who you are. Even though you are not speaking, you are speaking through the story. And so, Lord, as we pause and take time to partake of the bread and the cup, Lord, we do so in memory of what you've done. We recognize, God, that we have nothing in and of ourselves that is worthy of your love, but you have extended love to us to reconcile us to you, to bring forgiveness, to deal with the shame, to deal with the hurt, the broken past, to bring us into a place of forgiveness where we are no longer bound by the things 
of our past that we are free because of the God who has paved the way. Thank you, Jesus. We celebrate you. We proclaim what you have done as we partake together. Come on up and partake as we sing. Would you stand with me? May the God who went to the cross for you and me define your and my life with these elements. May you find forgiveness and the reconciliation with God and the forgiveness that he offers. May you be free from all those things that have held on in your past. And may you step through the open doors as God opens them. God bless you. Have a great day. Enjoy one another's company. Love you guys. You have been listening to the Genesis Podcast. We invite you to join us at one of our weekly gatherings. You can find more information at www.thegenesisstory.com as well as opportunities to help financially support this podcast. Thank you for listening.